Second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. And welcome to a new edition of the Boo Birds podcast alongside my co-host, John Sager. I'm Joe Greenwich, back for another week of Philly sports talk, John, even though maybe maybe in our better judgment, we wouldn't be doing that right now. Yeah, that kind of sums it up. Yeah. It's been a, uh, a rough couple of days. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, how have you been? What I'm not watching sports on my TV. Uh great i had a great weekend um totally nothing nothing happened of of note well as far as i remember it seems like you had a little anniversary this weekend yes well that that would be the of note Uh, as my uh, sixth wedding anniversary uh it was surrounded by a cloud of uh, philadelphia sports events but uh outside of that uh just thrilled to be getting uh year number six uh you know, the, the way this year's been going, it's kind of nice to get a, a mid-year reboot on on things. I just want to clarify for the people listening, this is the six-year anniversary of your wedding, not the anniversary of your sixth wedding, correct? That would be correct. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. You can search for Boo Birds Podcast. You can also send us an email. Visit BooBirdsPodcast.com. Click on the contact link. There's a form there. You can email the show. And with that, John, why don't you give us what is sure to be a jovial, positive, and totally fun look at the news. The good news, the Union squeezed out a 2-1 win in their match with New England. They are tied for second place with Toronto. And now time for all of the other news. (laughs) The Sixers still don't have a head coach. The latest candidate of note to become available is Houston's Mike D'Antoni. Meh. The New York Mets announced a sale to Steve Cohen today. The new owner is reputed to be the wealthiest owner in baseball. The Mets only made the playoffs three times under the management of Fred Wilpon, who took the reins as a majority owner in 2002. It is worth noting that Fred Wilpon's Wikipedia page listed him as the former majority owner within an hour of the announcement. (laughs) The Phillies lost five of seven games in Miami. One of those losses includes a dominant performance by former Phillies prospect Sixto Sanchez, Their inability to beat the Marlins reminds me of a stretch in the early 2000s when they lost 12 straight to the Astros. At least Houston was out of the division and had Hall of Famers. No word if they needed trash cans back then. Competitive football is back. Unfortunately, someone forgot to remind the Eagles in week one. After going up 17-0 in the first half, Philadelphia was blown away by the Washington football team. The Eagles gave up eight sacks and Carson Wentz finished the game with an 8-for-21 stretch. It is the most sacks that they have given up since the O.C. Yermaniara game against the Giants in 2007. The bright spot in this is it allows me to bring up perhaps my favorite sports quote of all time from the late, great Stan Hockman. On that Giants game in 2007, he said, the only thing Winston Justice today fought was the shadow. I gave the shadow 8-5. to five. Yeah, I, you called it the O.C. Yermaniara game. I, I thought, I was like, no, I, I thought that was the Winston Justice game. I guess it's the same game. <laughs> A rose by any other name would be as awful to watch. That's uh, true. I, uh, Giants fans probably call it the O.C. Yermanura game. Eagles fans hear Winston Justice and get PTSD and hide in a corner. I don't even know that Giants fans would even talk about that. It was a game in September of a season where they probably is. I think that's the year they went on to uh, win the Super Bowl. Correct. I think that was the year they knocked off the Patriots. That would be correct. Had I done extensive research for this new segment, I might have realized <laughs> that. But uh, unfortunately, research is all we will get for right now. Well, I, I promise Giants fans don't talk about that game at all while Eagles fans shake their fists at the ceiling. Well, either way, that's it for the news. Well, John, then I guess we'll move on to our next segment. John, what are you drinking? Something not strong enough. Can you be more specific? Well, it would be again with my uh, trusty uh, hard seltzer. Uh, again, I might need to dip in to your scotch supply for last week. Won't mention the type of scotch. Uh, I can't remember how you uh, altered the name, but kind of need that today. So Joe, what are you drinking? Well, I actually borrowed a page from your book from last week. Needed a little pick me up to actually get everything set up and start recording tonight. So I'm drinking a little iced coffee. 
I know it's a little late at night for coffee, but I don't know how else we're going to get through this conversation. Yeah, after this weekend, a little pick-me-up might be nice. That was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you this week by the Phillies bullpen because they thought it was called Why Are You Drinking? (laughs) All right, we might as well dive into it. You mentioned it before. Washington football team 27, Eagles 17. Last week, we talked on the podcast about our expectations for the season. And I think we both came to the same conclusion that the Eagles weren't very good, that they would be a very middle of the road team at best. But I don't think either of us thought it would start in week one, especially not against Washington. What happened? What didn't happen? It, <laughs> it's, it's just it was one a of the weird... pass in the second half is what didn't happen. Uh, that's that's true. Uh it's one of the more bizarre games I've ever seen. You know, it's one thing if you go and you lay a dud, uh, but to just be dominating to the point where I was texting you at some point about certain picks that we made last week thinking, I've got this made because I picked a high point total and Zach Ertz. And then not so much after that. And it, you could sense the change in momentum. Football's a weird sport like this uh, where you could it's almost when they when they went up 17 nothing I can't remember exactly what point uh, I thought this but you could just sense the change in momentum where I thought I don't know if they're going to win this game and then it was they're not going to win this game shortly thereafter just because of how bad they looked so quickly they kind of turned into a pumpkin so to speak right before halftime like went through that interception and then I feel like there were like three possessions still in the last like minute and a half of the game. The Eagles did nothing. And then Washington came back and did nothing. And the Eagles got the ball back. And then they gave it back to them with time left on the clock. Just very sloppy kind of, you know, you alluded to to my prediction, kind of what I expected to see, sloppy football. And, and, and it was a little bit from both teams there. But going into halftime, it wasn't quite the freak out type thing. But like you said, I don't know that there was – all the confidence that maybe you should have had after seeing that start to the game. And I don't know if maybe it was because we were looking at it through, I don't think this team is very good colored glasses, but I mean, as the game went on, like none of what happened should have been surprising to anyone. I think if you ask me. No. And I think, you know, the way it started uh, with the, the deep pass to Rager and, you know, the offense is moving up and down the field. Um, I didn't necessarily have visions of Chip Kelly's first game against the Redskins against Washington. Um, not the first time this year that I will make that mistake. Uh, but I was thinking more of last season's opener where they were just airing it out to Deshaun Jackson thinking, well, this, this is how it's going to go. And, and I think the best comparison I have is you see, you know, you'll see a starting pitcher in baseball coast and then suddenly loses mojo. And it seemed like that's what happened. You can't take out your starting quarterback between innings. That's not how it works. Usually the great ones find a way to figure it out when, you know, they don't have their, you know, quarterback equivalent to a fastball. Uh, They don't, you know, they find a way to adapt and to get through it when stuff isn't working well. Carson Wentz flat out did not have that. How much of that is his fault and how much is on the coach to change up the approach maybe? As the quarterback is flailing, I would say uh, both parties bear equal responsibility. Um, what I would put on um, the sort of an overall blame for Carson Wentz is that we've seen a lot of these mistakes before, and not much has changed. Well, before you go any further into that, we're going to talk about Carson Wentz. So let, let's hold off on that point because it's it's a pretty big piece of, of what I wanted to say. Um, Before we get into that, though, we do have to address, obviously, the injuries that... Yes, there is a fairness to this, yes. Apparently, are more contagious in Philadelphia than the coronavirus right now. But the injuries, specifically to the offensive line, are going to affect your quarterback play. They're going to affect your running game. Uh, I picked Miles Sanders to be the, the Eagles' offensive star, thinking, get a lead, run it out. He didn't even make the trip to Washington or to Landover, Maryland, but there was absolutely no running game to speak of as there often hasn't been with the Eagles. There didn't even seem to be an attempt to have a running game. And obviously when 
the line is so banged up. They're going to struggle to protect the quarterback. Is this, how much of this is due to the injuries to the offensive line? And then how much do you think lies on the quarterback? And then we'll get into him. Well, it's clearly a a huge thing. And I I don't think that the way the offensive line is, or that the depth of the offensive line has right now is something that you expect to encounter in week one, maybe week eight, week nine, where you have normal injuries. But the fact that they're this banged up this early scares me. I think it's also fair to say uh, that you know, it, it's, it's hard to give a quarterback a chance, but I think that's where the coach has to step in and change things up. Um, it's scary that they played so poorly together. It's I didn't get the sense that one person was being lit up, a la Winston Justice. Um, it's just it's just scary. It's it's youth. It's inexperience. It may be the Washington's defensive line, which already looks stacked going in, um, is much better than we thought. It's it's just, ugh, like it like. It's, it's a certain point. It just became unwatchable. Yeah, You had the Eagles biggest weakness, which usually has been a strength is line play, but their biggest weakness right now matched up against the greatest strength of the opposing team. Maybe the only strength of the opposing team. And they just were playing downhill for the last 30, 35 minutes of this ball game. Carson Wentz. He's starting his fifth season. Last year was the first time he had been healthy through the end of the regular season. His very first season, he got injured in the first preseason game, missed the rest of the preseason, then was named the starter. Obviously, the year after that, the ACL, the Eagles win the Super Bowl. The year after that, he gets shut down from multiple injuries. Nick Foles to the rescue again. Last season, he gets all the way to the end and then gets knocked out in the first half of the playoff game. I'm not holding that against him. We said last week that was a dirty hit, so it's really difficult to blame him for that. But his presence on the field hasn't been steady in regards to literally being on the field. And then when he's on the field, he's been at times spectacular and at times head scratching. So he hasn't been consistently there as as a top level quarterback. He has no choice but to be a franchise quarterback with the, the salary that he's being paid, the contract that he signed. The Eagles are stuck with Carson Wentz. And they have to try to make it work with Carson Wentz. I don't think Carson Wentz has gotten noticeably better. And you alluded to this before. He hasn't really grown at all. He's still making the same mistakes game after game. And as soon as the offensive line collapses, he, he's he's holding on to the ball too long. He should be getting rid of it. When, when that last guy gets through, he needs to take off. And if he can't gain yards running, throw the ball away to protect himself. He's eating all of these sacks, and you wonder why he gets hurt? Well, because he doesn't throw the ball away, because he doesn't get away from guys. I don't know if if the ACL injury has has sapped some of that from him. It it's, sounds strange to say he's still a fairly young quarterback, but he just he causes a lot of the contact that he takes by the way he plays, and it's not the way like Cam Newton does, but by not throwing the ball away. Uh, Mike Sealski from the Inquirer wrote today, compared him to Brett Favre. And I think it's a fairly apt comparison, especially considering that Doug Peterson was on the sideline with Brett Favre for a while. Brett Favre didn't throw the ball away until he could throw it away to the other team. Carson Wentz doesn't throw the ball away. And then he ends up on the turf underneath a pile of defensive linemen. There was the last play yesterday where he, he, he tried to bring the ball down. Like back in the old days, it would have been the tuck rule. They would have called it incomplete. The camera angle from behind him shows the play acres of space in front of him, but he was trying to wait to force a throw. And that's how he had the contact take off, gain some yards, maybe live to fight another set of downs. Instead, he tried to make something out of absolutely nothing down the field. Another thing that I noticed doesn't seem like he practiced at all. We know that he was hurt during training camp. We didn't see any preseason games. And you talked last week about how, kind of makes it tough to evaluate. Well, I'm not convinced he practiced at all. Yeah, he hit a couple of nice passes, but in that second half, the timing with his receivers was nil. All right, the Eagles knew that 
Brandon Brooks, and then Andre Dillard were hurt. They've had plenty of time to work these guys into some form of cohesive unit. They had plenty of time to create a game plan with a lot of three and five step, one, two, three, quick, get it out plays. And instead, he's looking downfield, his timing is off, and he's getting hit. I think more of that blame should be placed on the quarterback than I think some people do, simply because at some point, when is he responsible for his own decision-making instead of his coach or the quarterback coach that worked well with him in the past who's not here anymore? One thing uh, that I was thinking about yesterday is it's it's been such a given that he's had a dominant offensive line. It's probably been the one thing the Eagles have, have not had to worry about uh, since he since he arrived here. Um, you wonder if that's covering up his mistakes a little bit. Some of those some of those flaws. Now, granted, no quarterback's going to succeed with a terrible offensive line. That's just unrealistic. Uh, Archie Manning could probably testify to that. Um, but you wonder if he can hold on to the ball because his line is giving him time, but he doesn't have the awareness to dump the ball, throw it out of bounds, a la uh, Peyton Manning or, or Tom Brady. There's a reason why those guys never get hurt. And it's because when they feel the pressure, they find a way to either sort of go down easy or just throw it out of bounds and not, uh, you know, and not absorb the, the amount of contact that Carson is. And I think that also plays into his fumbles. Um, it's it just sort of his most noticeable statistical flaw is the amount of times he's put that on the ground. That's something you see more for a running back than a quarterback. Um, and he's doing it at, at such a rate. I don't know if it's correctable at this point. You know, if a couple seasons, you obviously want him to focus more on you know passing accuracy. But after a couple seasons, this doesn't change. It's the first time I'm starting to wonder what the long term of Carson Wentz is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think any Eagles fan would have thought after last season, or I think he was at an MVP level with zero talent around him, uh, especially in the last month. But he also played poorly for stretches last season. Granted, uh, he had bad wide receivers around him, but he played so poorly at times where you you know you get games where they just couldn't get a start in the first half that's another thing that's always been a a constant in the peterson era is this weird first half obviously yesterday they started great in the first half maybe they've solved the first half problems and can't get the second half they've just or they've just reversed that i, I don't know uh it's just you know i'm just kind of rambling at this point but well i mean was, i think that encapsulates yeah just about everybody's reaction here there's no, there's no one problem. I think this is almost an organizational problem uh, as anything else, especially with the, you know, the line depth and the, you know, the pension for injuries. Uh, we probably focus more on Carson and Jason Peters for getting hurt, but the reality is it's the entire 53 man roster. I think it's, it's folly to make these sort of statements and, and, and judgments after one game. And, and everyone wants to talk about sample size and it's one game. Don't overreact. I don't know. This, for some reason, doesn't feel like an overreaction because it's not like, you know, Carson Wentz has been the model of great health and model of great play for his entire career and then had a bad game opening week. You know, like not to talk about somebody else or to even make a comparison, but Tom Brady wasn't great yesterday in his first game in Tampa. Right. But it's not necessarily reason to freak out because he's Tom Brady. You know, now if we get to week eight, week nine and he can't get it going, then it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe he's hit the end of the road. But for now, for him, it's just one game. For Carson Wentz, it's one game that kind of continues the same story that has been the story throughout his career. Moments of brilliance and moments of sheer cover your eyes and, and look at the ground and just wonder what he was thinking and it makes me wonder even if he is thinking sometimes out there, but you talked about his long-term future. At what point is there a point this season where you think you as a fan would reach a point where you think it's time to cut bait? Do you think that could happen this season? Or do you think that that it's something that needs to be thought about next year or the year after? 
I think that has already been put in place by the organization when they drafted Jalen Hurts really? this year. Um, I I think they're fine with Carson, but maybe they're internally thinking, well, you know, we might want to have somebody that's more of an insurance plan. Now, if you're like this, continues to go very badly, um, I wonder how much it wouldn't be just a quarterback, but... Uh, more of an organizational blow up uh, in terms of how they're they're approaching things, especially with the salary cap the way it is next year. Um, granted, they have a lot of young pieces on offense now, especially at wide receiver. But you know, I I have to wonder if they're thinking without saying it that this is sort of a make or break year. I don't think of Jalen Hurts as any more in their minds than an insurance policy for this year and maybe next year because I think if he's good enough to run a team somebody will make an offer to have him come in and run their team now how will they know that unless Carson Wentz were to get hurt then the Eagles would want to hold on to him the same thing we saw with Nick Foles the last couple of years I don't know that they drafted him thinking he could be the long-term answer if Wentz doesn't work out what I'm wondering is and this is kind of pie in the sky but you know, we, we talked about their schedule last week and how brutal it is early on. We were counting this game as a win. You know, Washington with a new coach, theoretically possibly one of the worst teams in the league. And they went out in the second half and they just punched the Eagles in the mouth repeatedly. Well, next week, home for the Rams, home for Cincinnati, at San Francisco, at Pittsburgh, home for Baltimore, and then Giants on a short week, and then Dallas. They could easily be two and six, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. So two and six is nothing short of an abject failure. One, do you think Doug Peterson gets fired during the bye if they're two and six? I don't think Doug Peterson gets fired midseason. I think he's meant too much to the franchise. I think he has a a good relationship with ownership, uh, especially contrasting with Chip Kelly. I think there's more of a trust there uh, and knowing that you have a good coach what I wonder is if it's more of a changing of the guard at the general manager position um, or just sort of in the and or again, when we're looking at a, a bad season like this, you have more options. Um, if this would be an excuse to completely blow it up um, because you can maybe dump salary. If this, if the season's going bad, uh, badly, you can uh, trade a lot of players mid-season for maybe that extra couple of picks. But I wonder if with the salary cap being, I think they're scheduled to be something like 20 20 plus million over the cap next year, if this would be an excuse to dump a lot of veteran contracts, uh, maybe Brandon Graham, send him to a contender, um, sort of do as much as you want him to be, you know, with the organization for a long time. It's also good for him to be as a player, um, you know, to to be with a contending team, maybe you could do something like that. And then maybe at the end of the season, uh, if it really goes badly, uh, and again, I don't want this to happen, um, but maybe you can think about, because you do have that quarterback in the second round, uh, maybe seeing what you can get for Carson, um, because there is enough value there. He's a, he's a good quarterback. He might not be the quarterback. But maybe you can get a couple of top-level picks for him. If you can get a first round for Sam Bradford, <laughs> Carson Wentz could certainly get you you know, three, three good picks. Well, that was kind of what I was alluding to. Do you think if this season, that there was a point this season where it can be going poorly enough that they decide to just completely bag it, tank for the draft pick, and maybe pursue you know, the idea I thought was a Trevor Lawrence, top quarterback in the draft. He's been eyed for one of the top spots in this draft since before he started at Clemson and all he's done there is win. Like he's just your prototypical going to be a top couple of picks kind of guy for his entire college career. Do you think it reaches a point? And I guess maybe it would depend on how bad it gets, but do you think it reaches a point at all where that's something they would consider? Yes. I think anything's on the table. If you're going this badly, I think anything's, Anything has to be considered. It's due diligence. Now, granted, this could be the you know the fan overreaction where we're thinking about oh you know dump Carson, dump Doug, blah blah blah. 
But they, you know, they had a they had a good run. They had an error. It's a specific error. It's just a matter of whether you're willing to take this into its second phase. Andy Reid had a long second act, but he was also good for a lot of that time. I'm just thinking if he ever had a year where it went this badly, but he, you know, his team's always rallied in the second. I'm going to say two words: Mike McMahon. Okay, that answered my question. <laughs> I think. I mean, yes, this is a definite era in that. It's the era in which the Eagles finally won the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz didn't play in the playoffs, but he was a big part of getting them to the spot where they could have those two playoff games at home. So you can't discount that. He earned the ring. He didn't do it in the postseason, but he earned his share of that Super Bowl championship that that got Nick Foles a statue. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it on the surface, it sounds like fan overreaction, but I don't I don't know that it is. Now now we can revisit this when they're when they're like ten and four and cruising into the playoffs, but we can I, delete I just, this episode we, when they're yeah, 10 we can and pretend four. this never happened. <laughs> but um it well, speaking of things that we might want to delete that never happened, well just real quick, we, we did a, a little quick pick for the game for the weekend. You picked a high scoring Eagles win. I picked an Eagles win, but a struggle. Uh, I think you know, you were winning after the first quarter, but you ended up losing the game, which kind of reflected the the Eagles game as it were. But your offensive star, Zach Ertz, looked good early, dropped a pass at the end of the game that basically ended it. Uh, your defensive star, I don't know that I heard Fletcher Cox's name at all. I don't believe he sacked the quarterback. I think he had a couple tackles, though. My offensive star, as we mentioned, Miles Sanders, uh, did not even make the trip. And, Smart uh, move on his part. <laughs> My defensive star was coordinator Jim Schwartz. You know, I thought maybe coming up with a game plan would be uh, would be the most important thing. And for for about 20 minutes, I looked real good and then uh, things fell apart. But it's really tough to game plan when I think I saw six of eight Washington possessions started in Eagles territory. So I'm going to give Schwartz a little bit of a pass there on that. Um, I think I win this one. No, Schwartz and the defense were fine. I, I think the the defense played well yesterday. The score, final score doesn't reflect it, but if you actually watch the game, you know that the the defense played well despite the hand they were given. It just you're you're putting them in a bad place when you're you know starting drives at you know at midfield or worse. So I think in the end I win this one, but not by much, and uh, I'm not happy about it. I'm not proud of it. But as we go on through the season, uh, we'll. We'll continue making the picks and and what I suspect will happen is that early on I'll I'll be I'll be getting the wins and then at the end of the year I'll be like, oh John beat you. Yep. That's usually how it goes for me. So keep your chin up, John. Stay in there. Stay in the fight. Thanks, Joe. Uh next week, the Eagles, we mentioned home home opener, if that even means anything with no fans really. Uh against the LA Rams. Great. That's that's just awesome. They uh looked really good last night beating Dallas as they opened the $5 billion SoFi Stadium. They were talking about that on the, the broadcast last night, kind of like like they were bragging about it. And all I could sit there and think is, how could you possibly figure out how to spend $5 billion? I don't know how much infrastructure work costs. And then I saw the kind of the aerial shot of the arena, and I never would have thought of it as, it looks like an arena more than a stadium. It looks like a spaceship more than anything else like some sort of Star Trek vehicle landed in the middle of, of California. But they were talking about that price tag like it was something to be envied or applauded. And I'm like, couldn't you have spent $4 billion and made just as nice a stadium and like, I don't know, done literally anything else with a billion dollars? But maybe I guess a couple schools, something, yeah, maybe, something like that. Or maybe 30 schools. But I guess that's what makes owners of football teams different than you and I. Look, I just want to just to interrupt you. Um, I know you said you don't know how to spend $5 billion. If you give me $5 billion, I will figure a way to spend it. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. And I'm sure I could spend it too. But uh, either way, we won't get too in-depth on it. What What are you thinking? Are you feeling any positives going into that game? Nope. I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, NFL in general, anything hit you from this week? We We mentioned Tom Brady. Things didn't go well for the Buccaneers. Uh, your Buffalo Bills uh, preseason wins pool pick. Uh, they looked good early. Held on for a win over the Jets. I believe you got three wins and I got two this weekend. 
So you've got your nose in front there. Well, the the Bills might actually have to be my my fallback team. Obviously, Eagles fan first, <laughs> but sometimes it's nice to have something else to watch. Yeah, um, I think uh, the notable thing, you know, Arizona beating San Francisco. I think Arizona will be better than they were last year, uh, significantly so. Cam Newton getting the win in New England in his first game. Um, he looked really good, you know, almost like, oh, that's the Cam of old. He's healthy. And I think that's the biggest thing for him, maybe more so than with other quarterbacks. The way he plays the game, he needs to be healthier. Um, and then Aaron Rodgers and all the talk about the Packers drafting a young quarterback. And then he strolls in and just strafes the Vikings, 43 points for Green Bay. Was there anything else that stuck out to you across the league? Honestly, the the Rodgers thing was, it. Uh, you know, he's, you almost take it for granted how great he is. Uh just because you see it time and time again, he's my favorite player to watch in the league. Uh, the way he just, you know, can air it out no matter who the receiver is. He had that core early on, and now it's almost like a no-name team and Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't say they're, you know, in anybody's Super Bowl conversations, but they're always a threat to win, and they're someone you never want to play, especially in Lambeau. I think if you tried to to figure out who was the biggest spite player in maybe in all of sports, but certainly in football, it's Aaron Rodgers. Like there's nobody who is more likely to have a great performance because he feels that you have slighted him in some way or, or think he's washed up. And so of it, it course very, he goes out and has the big game. Very reminiscent of the last dance this year. As soon as you said that, I, I can only think of him sitting with a giant glass of scotch. Watching the NFL I'll, draft. Watching the NFL draft going, I'm going to take, you know, I took it personal. And then, you know, he's going to go 16 and 0 this year. I think we might see a, a new uh, meme sprout up on our social media after that one. If you have nothing else to add, I guess that'll wrap up week one in the NFL here on the Boo Birds podcast, even though week one is actually still going on right now, the Steelers and Giants and then the Broncos and Titans tonight. But uh, we're going to take a break and then we come back. We're going to talk about the other Ajita inducing team in town who's still playing. That would be the Phillies. A lot of the same stuff. We'll get into a bit of a philosophical debate as well. Then we'll talk about maybe a, a goofy fan experience that we've had. So stick around. We'll be right back. Here on the Boo Birds podcast, we talked about the Eagles. Now it's time to move on to the local baseball team. John, are you ready for some Phillies talk? <laughs> well, Joe, this is the two drink minimum podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've ever needed to crack into a second adult beverage before, but it's been that kind of weekend, huh? I'd say so. Uh, the Phillies losing five of seven. When they went down there, I thought... Okay, if you take three of seven, that's maybe something. That's somewhat salvageable. But to only win two games out of seven, that's just pathetic. Well, it's funny, you know, they're going to play a seven-game series, and the Marlins got to four, so I was like, oh, I guess it's Marlins and six. And then they just tacked one on here at the end for uh, for good measure. But the Phillies, a, a similar issue to the Eagles, uh, especially over the last couple days, just getting hammered with injuries, starting rotation, uh, Spencer Howard, shoulder stiffness. Uh, he's on the injured list, and that is really discouraging. He said that it's something he's dealt with in the past and it didn't feel as bad as as it did. But I read something a number of years ago talking about pitchers suffering injuries and having surgery and that guys that suffer elbow injuries come back to their normal cells like 95% of the time. Shoulder injuries it's like 50-50. So if this is something structural and serious that causes this recurring stiffness issue, he's going to have to get something done to it. And then that that could be a career-altering injury. You're right. Shoulders are the more delicate thing. I think, especially with Tommy John surgery, that was probably the biggest advancement in sports medicine 
um, in terms of being able to correct something with just a simple procedure. Shoulders are a lot more complex. And I don't like hearing recurring injuries. And as worrisome as Howard's is, there was another injury for the Phillies this week that wasn't, I would say, as worrisome, but as head scratching. Zach Wheeler. <laughs> I will say that I've been certainly thinking about whether or not I've cut my nails properly the last few days. Uh, for those of you who may have missed it, uh, he caught his fingernail on the, the 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 waist of his jeans or something when he was putting them on, maybe a belt loop or something, and kind of ripped the fingernail off a little bit. Apparently, this is an issue he's had since he was in high school. Now, I don't know enough about the injury. I don't know enough about the condition or whatever to to pass any sort of judgment on treatment. I would imagine it's something that you should have been able to have something done or there should be something you could do to alleviate this and prevent it from happening. Some people are like, oh, we'll just wrap it up. No, you can't wrap it up. A pitcher needs his fingertips maybe more than any other athlete. But what I don't understand is why he's been able to continue with this issue for so long and that nothing has been able to be done. And if nothing can be done, then then nothing can be done. But just to hear Joe Girardi say, if he loses it, he's done for the season. And you're like, oh my God, what is he talking about? He's talking about a fingernail. It's like, wait, what? Right. And we're used to hearing this type of thing with a blister injury, I would say. Right. Or it's this sort of thing that, you know, a normal person could go to work. But for a pitcher, <laughs> you know, feeling that grip is is everything. So, you know, it makes sense. You know, you know, there's the initial shock factor. It makes sense, but also it doesn't make sense. You know, how, you know, the idea that that's how you do it, like you'll come across strange injuries, like, you know, someone throwing out their back, sneezing or lifting up an air conditioning unit, something like that, where you go, okay, well, that's, that's a fluke way to affect the season. Um, But, you know, putting on your pants, it's, yeah, that's certainly, as Joe Girardi said, you really can't make it up. Um, I wonder if that's something the Phillies knew about when they signed him. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I would imagine if you're spending that kind of money, uh, you would know about Does that. Does that come up on a physical? It's like, oh, by the way, my nail might fall off at some point and then I'll be out for a month. I, I think uh, what might happen is uh, just the magnitude of the the injury with the shortened season. I think that's probably why we have the alarm bells going off right now. If this happened in May in a 162 game season, go on the uh, the IL for uh, for 10 days, and you know would almost laugh it off or not not even notice it. You know sometimes you know pitchers will go on for for minor issues just to make sure that they're a okay. You know they won't even need any rehab starts. Um, but to have it occur in a shortened season down the stretch. With the rash of injuries that are happening already, it's 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 just probably the the most ill-timed weird injury I can remember. Especially the way he's been pitching this season. You know, he came in as a strikeout pitcher. He hasn't really been striking guys out, but he's he's been pitching really well. Like with him and Nola, like they're in any playoff series they could manage to qualify for. So it's kind of like a double blow. Like not only are you losing an arm and those innings it's a really good arm and it's the one you paid a lot of money for, but he's a really good arm that's been producing. What's impressed me the most about him is let's say change in approach to where he's not the strikeout guy he's getting ground balls. That's actually what I would prefer. Uh, I don't know if that's, you know, him or Brian price. I haven't seen how they've arrived, uh, you know, that strategy this year, but you know, over 162 game season for a guy uh, with that kind of uh, contract I would prefer that because he's going to make it through a season. He's not going to be someone uh, who gets, you know, blown up uh, once his velocity fades. Uh, Maybe this is him being smarter as he gets into the second half of his career. Uh, I've been very impressed by Wheeler. Again, fluke injury. Hopefully this doesn't um, recur and, you know, especially this, I think this is especially uh, harmful given that there's really no one you can call up. Right. Uh, but it's not like you the can go to that guy Spencer in AAA. <laughs> right. You can't go to that, that guy in AAA. You can't go to the guy in the bullpen because that guy isn't very good. So uh, this year, it, you know, it's a huge injury. And, and of the three big injuries that they've had, 
I, this is the most devastating. Well, you alluded to to three injuries. Um, I would say four because I would count Spencer Howard as well, simply from the importance of having him be there in the rotation with all of these games. So anytime you're losing starting pitcher at this point is rough. Right. You know, even if it's, you know, three runs over five innings, that's an almost quality start. <laughs> now, the other two injuries, though, we hadn't gotten to yet. The first one, Reese Hoskins. I didn't even see the play where he got injured, but I saw a tweet, and I don't know if you saw this tonight, right after the game from Matt Gelb of The Athletic, that Hoskins will be going on the injured list. He has an injury to the ulnar collateral ligament in his left arm. That's the Tommy John ligament. Now, he's not a pitcher. It's not his throwing arm, but it doesn't say what kind of injury. I would assume some sort of strain, um, but he's going to be out at least the next week. And he was, you know, really kind of coming around and whatever success they were having, he was a big part of with his bat. So that is just as big an injury to me as Zach Wheeler. And then, of course, JT Real Muto, hip problem. It seems like he should be okay and won't go on the injured list. Hopefully that's that's how it shakes out. Any thoughts on the Hoskins and Real Muto injuries and where the Phillies go from here? Uh, well, with Real Muto, it, you know, it looks like he'll, he'll be back uh, at least by the end of the season. Uh, with Hoskins, I wonder if this injury would facilitate his move to the DH spot, which is you know inevitable as a long-term thing in the National League. Um, yeah, Let's not, not go best. down that rabbit hole. We could do an entire episode, and we may do an entire episode on National League designated hitter. But yeah, uh, that I will mean, be the episode be... entitled "Joe Joe Has Thoughts," <laughs> and then you know that's forty-five minutes, and that will be it. Uh, That'll just be when you're unavailable. I'll do that one on my own. Yeah, he's not the best defensive first baseman anyway. So, you know, you think uh, maybe this allows Baum to move over to, to first base and Kingry over to third. Uh, that I, I don't know if in a short season, if you want to experiment with Baum at, at first right now. I think they're they're fine in the short term. You talk about Alec Baum not playing first base. Why not? Like, Who's going to play first instead of him? Phil Goslin's been there. I can't imagine Phil Goslin is a a better first baseman than a third baseman. So I imagine we will see a lot of Bohm over the course of the next week at first base. Kingery came back today, fortunately, but maybe I, I think second base is where he should be. He'll probably play some in center field as well. You know, Ronald Torres is up and Joe Girardi talked about his versatility being a key thing. So I think when it comes to filling out the nine positions on the field, they'll be fine in that regard. It's just what you're going to lose from Hoskins production. And then over the next couple of days, likely without real Muto, they're going to have to lean on Andrew Knapp. But every game is important. Now we say all of this, how every game is important and they're, they're only at 500. There's only 14 games left. They're still in a playoff position. You know, they're third in the division, but coming into play today, they were still two and a half games ahead of Colorado, who was in ninth. So they have games with the Mets and the Blue Jays over the next week. And then it's Washington and then Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is very good, but they may have a division title already locked up by then and just trying to set their pitching for the playoffs. New York, who even knows? The Blue Jays, they're competing. The Nationals, I think they're just about finished. There's going to be chances to win ballgames, and it's whether or not they can score enough runs to compensate for their poor pitching. I don't know what happens next. I do think there's a little more leeway there then maybe people realize because they are the only team that is not in first or second place in the national league. That's 500. So this team still should be expected to make the playoffs. And if Zach Wheeler can pitch, they may be able to knock off the Braves or somebody else in the first round. If it's not the Dodgers, maybe not the Padres, but it's going to be a very stressful two weeks, which makes it a good two weeks for us to have a show about Philadelphia sports. But as a fan, I don't know how I feel. I am extremely nervous. I think Zach Wheeler's health is probably the biggest uh, factor in that. One thing with Hoskins is he's been setting the table for the offense all year. Even when he's not hitting, he's getting on base, uh, which is you know the most important part for someone hitting at that spot in the order. Um, you know, I'm just I'm not feeling it. Uh, I think some of it is also the bullpen. Uh, it looks like for a little while that they were able to correct that. All the the new acquisitions just haven't been performing well at all. 
Uh, and I, just Matt, general manager Matt Clintac, I don't know uh, how he arrived at them. I, I don't know if it was a matter of price and, you know, a, a, a poor buyer's market. But, you know, he has not fixed the bullpen. Granted, they're still below average, which is better than what they were. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm I'm not feeling it. I think you're right. It, I, you know, I, I do think they have a chance to kind of sneak into the back end of the playoffs. But, you know, I'm, I'm not really hopeful the way things have gone. They just replaced poorly performing guys with new guys who have then performed poorly. I saw someone broke down the stats for David Phelps between Milwaukee and Philadelphia. He's given up about the same amount of hits, twice as many runs, twice as many home runs in half as many batters faced. So something about the bullpen, something about the Phillies clubhouse, whatever constitutes a clubhouse during the year of COVID. But it's just something about coming here to Philadelphia that that ruins a relief pitcher. Um, But you talked about, the general manager and one of the jobs the general manager has is to build depth. Catcher Rafael Marchand made his major league debut today. Uh, he got a hit. I believe he had an error in the bottom of the first inning and then a hit in the top of the second. Marchand, 21 years old. This is his first game above a ball. He played in Clearwater and Lakewood last year and now is on a major league roster. And that's because the third catcher for the last couple of years, Davey Grion, was designated for assignment and he was scooped up by Boston, then came here last week and and played well against his former team. But the the lack of catching depth in the system is kind of shocking. Um, but I think it speaks to the fact that you have the best catcher in baseball on your major league team. That has been a, a big focus for fans this season. So I wanted to talk about that real quick. It makes me think that they came into things intending to sign him and that they really are just waiting to see how the market develops and that they fully intend to sign him. But it was really kind of brought into stark relief over the weekend because the Phillies are playing the Marlins. And yesterday, Sixto Sanchez was the starting pitcher for the Marlins and he was the centerpiece of the trade. And he threw a complete game. He just dazzled the Phillies. He's been pitching well all season. And people kind of look at that trade like, well, you have to sign JT because look what you gave up. I think that is the dumbest reason to sign a player to an extension. It's the sunk cost fallacy in baseball. Sanchez is gone. All right. You can't throw good money after bad because of what you already invested. Now, that's not to say JT Realmuto would be bad. He is the best catcher in baseball. But if his contract demands are ridiculous and you think that you could spend that money better elsewhere and either go forward with Andrew Knapp or somebody of a lesser quality than Real Muto for for less than half the price, then you have to consider it. You can't look at it as, well, we traded our best prospect for this guy. We have to give him whatever he wants. And the fact that, that people are citing that as a reason to sign Real Muto is stupid. Okay, sign Real Muto because he's the best catcher in baseball. Sign him because he fits your lineup. Sign him because your pitchers like pitching to him, and he's part of the reason that a guy like Zach Wheeler signed here in the first place. Sign him because Bryce Harper won't stop reminding you that you didn't if you don't. But don't sign him because you traded away Sixto Sanchez. It's like losing money playing poker for three hours and then getting into another pot because, well, I've already lost 300 bucks. I got to try to win it back. That's gone. All right. Sixto Sanchez is gone. He is not a Philly. They don't have to worry about him the rest of this year, at least. It's the dangers of trading within the division, but they they were going for it last year. You know, they weren't thinking about 2021, 2022 last season. They were thinking about, hey, we have a chance to be a playoff team in 2019. It didn't work out for a number of reasons. Bullpen injuries, maybe the manager, the offense kind of sputtered at times, but to say that they have to sign JT Romuto in any part because of Sixo Sanchez is just absolute craziness. I agree with you uh, in that, however, Sixo performs has no bearing and should have no bearing on uh, on if they sign him. You know, you want the other team, you know, obviously you don't want the other team to necessarily get the better end of the deal, but both teams, you know, got good players and, uh, you know, Alfaro's been fine for uh, Miami as well. You know, it's 
I, for for me, if you acquire the best catcher in baseball and he plays like the best catcher in baseball, then you have to pay him like the best catcher in baseball. Right. Obviously, if you put a lot of investment into it, you want to make sure that you get return on that investment. I don't know if it's quite the same as the sunk cost fallacy. Um, it's not like Romuto's been playing okay and you extend him. Um, but for, for me, uh, however Sanchez performs does not impact how much they spend for Romuto. Uh, Steve Cohen buying the New York Mets actually might impact that more than anything <laughs> yeah. else. So come the start of spring training next season, is JT Romuto in Clearwater with the Phillies? I would say 60-40, yes. Only 60-40? Now, is, is, that, is that doubt on his end or, or on the, is, is your doubt it with the Phillies? I don't think it's with the Phillies. I think they are going to try to do what it takes to keep him, but there's always another team out there that can just spend crazy amount of money. There's only so much you really want to spend on a catcher because they don't play as many games and they tend to decline faster than other position players. And he is an advanced, well, relatively advanced age, at least uh, for, uh, you know, a baseball player. I think he would still be fine throughout the length of his contract. I don't see how his, uh, you know, his, you know, for a catcher, as long as the defense and their ability to call a game and handle a pitching staff, is great. Um, that's fine. You just hope he's sort of at least an average hitter towards the back end. But I, you know, I think John Middleton wants him here. But there's nothing that would create a bigger splash for the Mets than taking the Phillies' top free agent away, right. especially one season after the Phillies took Zach Miller <laughs> away from the Mets. So, and it's not just the Mets. I think the Yankees could be looking for a catcher as well. Gary Sanchez not playing particularly well. <laughs> he might have worn out his welcome in New York. So Ramudo may be going to New York. It might not just be the Mets. Now, granted, the Yankees have spent a lot more recently. So I think if some owner decides they want to go for the top free agent, he's not going to cost $400 million like Mookie Betts. But, you know, 175 sure. You know, they know they he's an impact player. You can't make a bigger impact positionally than signing Romuto. I think ultimately one way or the other, it will just come down to, does he really want to stay here? If he wants to stay here, they'll get it done. If he would rather go to New York or, or LA or anywhere else, then, then he won't sign here anyway. Well, so just talking about all these Phillies Marlin games and all the double headers they're playing this year reminded me of my own personal experience with some Phillies twin bills. Uh, have you ever been to a doubleheader? Uh, not with the Phillies. I remember when I was younger, there was, I, I can't remember what they called it, but it was similar to an Arizona Fall League type setup. And there was a team in Wilmington. And I can't remember what the team was called or what the league was called. Don't hold me to this. I want to say Delaware Stars was the name of the team. Uh, Eric Valent, a Phillies prospect, was on that team. And there was a guy. That takes me back. There was a guy from the Cardinals organization. I kid you not. His name was Stubby Clap. He's a current, uh, I believe he's a, he's a current first or third base coach with them. Oh, really? Well, he was yes. either a... Uh, you he can't unhear a, that name. <laughs> he was either a Delaware star or or a member of the visiting team, but they would come and they would play double headers, seven inning games uh, on Sunday afternoons. And I remember going at least once uh, with my dad down to Wilmington. Probably though, my, my, my goofiest baseball game story is I went with some friends down to the vet. This would have been... Just prior to the Scott Rowland trade that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and they were playing the Braves, and it was some sort of throwback nostalgia weekend. So they were wearing those white and burgundy uniforms from the 80s. It was it rained, so the start of the game was delayed. So a bunch of us went down, and we didn't get there until eight o'clock. And we bought general mission tickets back in those days. You had the the long thin tickets where they actually tore off a ticket stub. Remember that? Um, and we sat instead of what sitting. Are tickets? Yeah, right. <laughs> but even though it, it had rained and the game didn't start till like nine fifteen, and we could have sat anywhere, we went and sat up in the seven hundred level, and we sat against the back wall of the vet, underneath the overhang provided by the luxury suites that they used for Eagles games. And because it was wet and kind of rainy, everyone took their socks off and 
hung them over the chair in front of us to dry, and we watched the Phillies and Braves, and I'm going to guess the Braves won that game. Uh, and then I remember going to IHOP afterward. But it's the kind of thing like you look back on like, oh, yeah, remember that time we went down to the, the Phillies game? It didn't even start till nine something. And we sat in literally the last row out in left field. The things the 18 year olds will do for fun. But uh, I'm going to guess from you bringing it up, you, you have uh, s- something unique about uh, Phillies and doubleheaders. Yes. And, uh, you know, I will be able to say some rain delay stories uh, for another podcast. Uh, there's those have been some of my favorite times at the ballpark, actually. But that, that's that's a whole nother weird baseball uh, fan discussion for me for doubleheaders. The last year of uh, Veteran Stadium, I went to three doubleheaders in what? one year. The full doubleheader like you went before and you stayed for the whole thing. Right. Well, that's two for the price at of least, one. You can't beat that. At least 18 innings of baseball. Uh, you know, it stayed, stayed for the whole thing. And oh my God. I, I saw, uh, I don't remember how many games I saw that, that year at the vet. Uh, but I saw 10 Phillies wins in one year, which, uh, is actually more than That's a fifth pretty high starter. <laughs> right. It's, and it's actually more than uh, fifth starter, Brandon Duckworth, who only had four. Ooh. So, you know, <laughs> maybe I should have gone to more Duckworth starts. <laughs> There's a name, Brandon Duckworth that year. Uh, it was the 2003 season. My last game at the vet, the Phillies played the Red Sox on a Saturday afternoon. And I believe Todd Pratt walked it off with a home run. I was actually at that game. Well, there you go. Long before we met. Uh, <laughs> but Todd Pratt in something like the 12th or 13th inning, I want to say. I believe so. Yeah. And that was my last game at the vet. And I was, I was going to go to another one and it didn't work out. And they ended up losing that game. So I think that was for the best. And it's it's funny looking back on that now because at the time I was becoming um, very nostalgic about the vet mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to miss it when it's gone. <laughs> and then the next year, Citizens Bank Park opened and I no longer miss the vet. Yeah, it's like it's a dump, but it's our dump, you know? Exactly. But it's, it's, it's also it's, our dump that looks exactly the same as Pittsburgh's dump and Cincinnati's dump. It was the gritty of stadiums. <laughs> well, okay, no, I have to ask. So, so you went to the first doubleheader, right? What made you go back for the second? And then what made you go back for the third? Because that's, those weren't good teams. That, that has to be, that should be illegal. I had a lot of time on my hands. (laughs) Uh, And I actually believe there were some, uh, there were some giveaways. I I think one of the, if I remember correctly, uh, one of those uh, doubleheaders was against the Athletics, who were Mm. a hot team at the time. And it might have been the first time that the A's had played in Philadelphia since they left. Right. Uh, you know, don't quote me on that, but I remember that being some of the appeal. Uh, and some of that actually may have been me being a little defensive about the game that year that I did not go to. Um, there was a game in April, it was a Sunday that I did not go to. Uh, and I remember uh, my mom actually saying, Hey, do you want, uh, do you want us to go to this game? I know where this is going. <laughs> I said, No. Kevin Millwood throws a no hitter. <laughs> So I then decided to see as many games as I could see because you never know when you're going to see a no-hitter, and I still have not seen a Major League no-hitter. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen a a Major League no-hitter, but I know the closest that I came was, it was at the vet, it was Doug Drabeck of the Pirates, and we talked about his son on the podcast, Kyle. Um, he had a no-hitter in the ninth, and I want to say probably around 1990, 91, maybe uh, when the Pirates were the, the team at the top of the East and Sil Compusano. Do you remember that name? I do not. That that is a, that stumps me. Sil Compusano got a base hit in the ninth inning and he broke up the no hitter. I, I don't remember if it was no out, one out, two out, but I remember the fans booing. Sil Compusano for getting a hit and my, you know, six, seven year old brain being like, he plays for us. Why are you booing him? And that, I think that was my first real exposure to, you know, Philadelphia fans uh, and, and the culture that gave us our name. But everyone just wanted to see the no hitter. The Phillies were going nowhere. That team was awful. The, the franchise wasn't doing anything and they wanted to see a no hitter and he broke it up. And they booed him in his hometown. They cheered for Doug Drabeck. I was aghast that they did that. And then as we talked about, fast forward 25 years later, 
Chase Utley comes back to town and we give him a standing ovation for hitting a home run against the Phillies. But you know, the lessons we learn in time, but that, that was the closest I've, I've come to seeing a, a game like that. Well, John, we've talked about Sil Compusano and Todd Pratt in the same podcast segment. So I think that's about as good a time as any to wrap it up. We have just been added to Google Play. So now, John, you can actually subscribe to your own podcast. It's about time. <laughs> We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, the TuneIn app, and many more. So subscribe, download, give us a five-star review. If we're not on your platform of choice, let us know. Reach out to us at Boo Birds Podcast on Twitter, Boo Birds Podcast on Facebook. There's a contact us form on our webpage. You can just send us a note, let us know where you want to see us, and we'll do what we can. Our website, BooBirdsPodcast.com. Every episode is posted there. We've also got some writing by the two of us, John you mentioned doing a home run piece. I know you're still working on that. Do you have anything else in the pipeline that uh, we can look for maybe this week? No, I, I don't have anything else uh, right now. That's, you know, I've been so scarred by this last weekend of games. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I think this this piece will be sufficient for now. Yeah, the Phillies were going well for a little while. You decided to write about depressing moments, and now they're providing us sad moments every day and kind of saps the energy to do that, huh? Just a little bit. Well. As John Lennon said, it can't get no worse. So let's hope (laughs) it gets better. And I'll see you next week. See you next week. 